father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? I'm gonna swallow it. Don't swallow it. Spit it out. No, it'll come out in your poop. It's gonna gunk up your system. It doesn't do that. Your body can't digest it. Yeah, I know. But it's like, you know, when you eat, like, lipstick container or something. How often do you do that? My friend did it when we were kids. Eat a whole lipstick container? Yeah, on accident. And it, it was like a mini lipstick on container accident. on accident. It's like one of those Barbie ones for little kids. Oh and it just came out in her poop. All right, well, this is not gonna be the episode. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm... I feel like this is prime content right here. Okay, sure. Yeah, this is going to be the episode. All right, cool. Just, uh, you know, make a special bonus feature. Bonus feature. Like, we don't have advertisements, so just have that conversation so, wedged in there. This is a bonus preview content of our upcoming Patreon, where we're going to give you extra exclusive content. And about, it's all going to be about things my friends have eaten that, eaten and then pooped out. It's going to be that. It's going to be goop news. It's All the gross body things that we leave out of the regular show. Are going to go into that Patreon. So, yeah. subscribe today. So, what are we doing here? Oh, uh, well, I should probably introduce it. Hello, yeah. and welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious. This is our Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast for Waste Time and Fictional Wikis. If you haven't guessed already, my name is Ryan. If you are new, my name is Joanna. And we are knee-deep, bone-deep, I should say, in Spooky October. You do realize the knee is, like, is a kind of a bone. Your knee bones are in the October darkness. It's time to get spooky. And spooky, we shall get. Yeah, all right. What's, uh, what are you going to spook me with this week, Joanna? Well, first I have to ask you a question, Ryan. It's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not the kind of podcast. No, it's only partially about that, though. So your family was, like, Christian when you were growing up, right? Yes. So I feel like with uh, most American Christians, anyway, there's, like, sort of three ways they can go when it comes to, like, spirits and magical stuff. Right. So either they look upon it as sort of sacrilegious to believe in it. Okay. Or they think that they're, they're like sort of loosey-goosey, more liberal sort of Christians, and they're like, you know, I, I think that, you know, I can blend my sort of new-agey sort mm-hmm, of beliefs mm-hmm. with my Christianity. Or they think that ghosts and magic and supernatural things exist, but they are all works of Satan. Okay. What did your family believe? Well... I could read Harry Potter and play EverQuest, so I think they're probably in that that first category. Where they're just kind of like, oh, it's it doesn't much, exist. It's silly nonsense. It's yeah. fun. It doesn't. So if yeah. you were to play with a Ouija board, yours wouldn't be the type of family where they were like, you're talking to demons. Maybe my grandma, but not my my parents. Okay, they'd just be straight up like, that's fake. Right. Okay. See, I had definitely the kind of upbringing where. Things like Ouija boards, Magic 8 balls were sort of questionable. Not by my mom, but by other members of my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my mom really didn't like it when we pretended to do a voodoo ritual. That was too much, huh? See, my mom let me buy a voodoo doll kit from Borders Books. She let you? Yeah. Really? When I was in fifth grade, I remember taking it to a, uh, a sleepover and we used it on my friend's dog. What, maybe, Wait, why did you try to voodoo your friend's dog? What did the dog do? It wasn't all bad stuff. It was good <clears throat> stuff. We wanted to give... Because he was like a little wiener dog. Yeah. 
And we want. He was like, give him longer legs. Yeah, out the legs and the voodoo. It was something like, yeah, we want to make him have like you know vim and vigor or whatever. We want to see if he could run really fast. Well, you you know you took his balls, so that's a loss. You take a hair from him, yeah. You tape it onto the doll, then you poke what you want to happen. We thought it didn't work just because he wasn't the doll wasn't dog shaped; it was man shaped. So you know the spirits would get confused, right? right, right. Obviously, is this what you're spooking me with this week? Is like Christian parents or what? No, what I'm trying to segue into, albeit very badly, is talking beliefs about the supernatural. Oh yeah? Did he have some? Well, from what I can tell, Tolkien didn't seem to have a problem with it in the context of fantasy fiction. And I think he seemed to think that any sort of fantastical things would come either from God or from the devil. Okay, okay. So they existed, but there was always a pretty good chance that it was coming from Satan. Mm, I see. Which is the camp that I think people, even in the year of our Lord 2018, will often fall into. So how does this relate to anything he wrote? Well, we're going to talk about disembodied spirits. Okay. And as you know, like, Christians tend to be of various minds about disembodied spirits. A lot of people assume there, there can't be ghosts because everybody either went to heaven or hell. Right. In Tolkien, though, there were ghosts. So we've talked about a few examples, and there are more. So more holistically, in Tolkien's cosmology... Spirits, disembodied spirits, were mainly, though not exclusively, of dead men. Uh, people trapped by unusual circumstances that didn't depart to their natural destiny. Okay. In the case okay. of men, we don't actually know what that destiny is. In the case of elves, they would go to the halls of Mandos and then to Valinor. Okay. In the case of men, question mark. But anyway, circumventing that, you would become a disembodied spirit. Unfinished business, baby. Yes. Now, ghosts are often mentioned in Tolkien's tales, but 90% of the time, it's a metaphorical or symbolic sort of sense. So, for example... You remember Hurin? Yes, of course. You remember he was cursed by Morgoth to have to watch all of his family die. I do remember that. Under terribly tragic circumstances. Bad times for him. And then after that, he was let loose from Angban. And he was wandering around looking so fed up and emaciated that everybody who saw him imagined he was a ghostly warrior returning from death. Well, he was actually alive. He was actually alive. But what that indicates to us is that even though in this case Hurin was not literally a ghost... The inhabitants of Middle-earth must have believed in ghosts. They must have accepted the existence of ghosts as a simple fact. That's some deduction there. That is, yeah, just call me Sherlock. Okay, Sherlock. Back in, like, 2011 when that show was really good. Okay, Bendy Crumb's Gumbersnatch. That's me, all right. Oh, wow, it's he's really here and his cheekbones are poking my eyes out. Ow, 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 Oink. ow, ow. When ghosts do actually appear for real, the circumstances are kind of confusing. So I told you, I think a few weeks ago, that Baron of Baron and Luthien, his father Barahir was part of this band of outlaws that openly defied Morgoth. Yes. And then they were killed under horrific circumstances. And one of Barahir's outlaw friends was called Gorlim. Gorlim. Yeah, so for some background, Gorlim was married to a woman called Ilanel, and he had a small patch of land with fields and woods, and he joined his lord Barahir in the Dagobragalak, the Battle of Sudden Flame, and fought beside him. And he was one of only 12 people who survived that battle. On both sides? No, just on the one side. Dang. Of the men. Of the men who went to that war. They got their butts kicked. And when he returned home from the war, he found his lands completely plundered, and his wife, Ilanel, was nowhere to be found. 
the most likely explanation, his lands were plundered. Yeah. You gotta imagine she didn't come to a great end. Can you imagine, like, if World War II only 12 guys came back? (laughs) (laughs) That would be... Like, the baby boomers would not exist. There'd be, like, 12 of them. I know. They would not exist. The, oh my god, just imagine how different our world would be. Yeah. I mean, we defeated the Nazis, but only 12 guys came back. Why have 12 guys survived? Yeah, so much... There's, yeah, no baby boom. No. No? There'd be, like, three babies born. Yeah. It'd be, like, the baby boom. Us. Yeah. Oh my god. Ain't no babies. Oh my god. That would have been so no more ex- greatest generation. That would have been some extreme Nazi efficiency. But I bet those twelve guys would. I mean, the Nazis would be gone, but I bet those twelve guys would become like the twelve heavenly gods of America at that point. The twelve men have returned. They probably would have like started a new religion. I yeah. mean, war is like practically already a religion in this country, and those guys would definitely be the god hand. That's a hot take, Joanna. That's a hot take. Let's continue. Back to the story of Gorliam, son of Angrim. So his wife was gone, so he figured, screw it. I have nothing to live for. My fields got burned, whatever. I'm going to join Bara here, and we are going to form a band of outlaws with the other surviving warriors. They managed to evade Morgoth's troop for many years. However, Gorlim was still hung up on his woman, and sometimes he would leave the group in secret and return to his house to look for her. I guess he figured maybe she came back at some point. Sure, yeah, yeah. Morgoth's spies found out, and Sauron prepared a trap for Gorlim. They captured him, and they tortured him for information on the outlaws. And Gorlim was a stand-up dude, so he held out for a really long time. Good. They were breaking his thumb doing waterboarding. They were making him listen to the Barney song, which my understanding is a real thing that torturers do. Wow, is that like at Guantanamo? Yeah. Wow. Like places like that, my understanding is that they really do that. Thanks, Dick Cheney. Thanks, thanks it's all Dick Cheney's fault. But nothing was working. But finally, he was brought before Sauron. And Sauron said to him, we will reunite you with your wife if you give us the information. You oh, this want. is a monkey's paw situation, Gorling. Don't do it. So he gave up the information in exchange for a free life with his wife. But then Sauron agreed, and like a complete dick, he said, I will reunite you with her in death. Because of she was course. already dead. Of she was course. already dead. So what he's talking about is killing him. Like, duh. Gorling probably should have seen that coming from a mile away. That is away. so obvious. I know. That's like standard. That's like classic. That's like by the book villain behavior. God. Like, duh. Gorling, come on, duh, man. Duh, dude. Like, duh. 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 No so duh. anyway, Sauron killed Gorlin very cruelly. We presume he was reunited with his wife, although nobody knows because we don't know what the ultimate destiny <laughs> of man is because Tolkien uh, didn't care enough to Gorlin. tell us. Barahir's son, Barim, at that time had a dream. And in that dream, the wraith of Gorlin appeared to him and confessed his deeds. So he was like, I sold out your dad. You better go tell Aww. your dad. And Baron tried to, but it was too late. Even as a ghost, he sucks. Mm, Gorlin. Yeah. Lame, right? Terrible, terrible guy. But, you know, again, like I said, it's kind of ambiguous. Was he actually a ghost that visited Baron in a dream, or was it just a dream? Oh, yeah, or was he just very emaciated and skinny? No, he was, like, dead. I mean, he was dead. He was double dead. I mean, he was dead. He was, Ryan, he was dead. But how would Baron have known that? Well, I don't know. Good question. So maybe it was something supernatural. But but a lot of the appearances of ghosts in Tolkien have that kind of ambiguity to them. Okay. Now, one very famous location that is haunted that we have not discussed yet is the Dead Marshes. Oh, with the faces in it. Yes. And the strange little candles and the visions that people see in the Dead Marshes are what we would commonly call ghosts or seem to be. Yeah. But in that case, we don't really have the grounding to state definitively that they were actual spirits. They seem to have been like a ghostly memory or an impression. So they weren't like actually there. 
Oh, okay. I guess it sort of depends on what you believe a spirit is. Does it have to be able to interact with you to be a spirit, or can it be a sense impression that's well, left on the fabric of reality? If you watch Ghost Adventures, it's for levels apparitions. Uh, you know, like a level five apparition. You know, there's right. What's what level does it have to be before Zach Bagans will yell at it? Uh, I don't know. Come at me, ghost, <laughs> the most bastard, you know, assassin. Yeah, the emotional approach is when you work on like category. Two spirits. Okay, got it, got it. Is that like an F2 tornado and above? I don't know, man. When I was a kid, well, I mean, even still now, I was really into ghosts. And I remember learning about the different types. So there is a recordings ghost, which can interact with you. It's almost like a video of something that happened. And they just do it the same way every time. There's a time slip, which is similar to what happened in the famous case of the two women that visited the Palace of Versailles and suddenly found themselves 100 or 200 years in the past. There are interactive ghosts, which are very, very, very unusual. And the ghosts in the Dead Marshes do not seem to have been of that type. They were just an impression. The Dead Marshes, evocative name, right? As you can probably guess, it was not called the Dead Marshes before that fatal battle took place where all those people died. Actually, it wasn't called anything. It was just like, there's some marshes over there. They suck. Don't go there. They were named after they became haunted. And they were part of an ancient battlefield for the Battle of Daggerland, which was between the last alliance of men and elves and the forces of Mordor, right? That was the one where Sauron snuffed it, sort of. Yeah, yeah. After that battle, many of the dead were laid to rest in the dead marshes because it was, like, right there. They're not going to cart them all the way back west because, like, they're going to start stinking. It's going to become a health hazard. So they just dumped them in the marshes. And the marshes swallowed them up. And their bodies could still be seen floating fairly well preserved in the water. According to Gollum, they're not physically there. They only appear as visions. Mm. Gollum is a very spiritual individual. He is, He knows a lot about ghosts. He also uses the emotional approach. (laughs) Later, during the Third Age, Gondor had a war with the Wayne Riders. Fountains of Wayne Riders. Yeah. The guys, the little fellas who were rolling around in little little radio flyer wagons. The Waynes, yeah. The Waynes. Whiting the Wayne. And so during that time, King Ondohair of Gondor, his army was caught by surprise and his men were driven into the Dead Marshes and defeated. So, you know. More bodies for the swamp, More bodies. More bodies for the swamp. More swamp dudes. When Erniel II became king of Gondor, he avenged this defeat at the Battle of the Camp. And the Wayne Riders were defeated, and then they were driven in the marshes, and most people died. Keep giving me people, please. Right. Marsh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's just eating up bodies. Yeah. Like, successively. Like, nom, 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 nom. During the quest to destroy the One Ring, Gollum led Frodo and Sam on their passage through the marshes. And at least I know in the movie version, he says it was a battle that happened long ago. It's not clear if he's referring to the Battle of Daggerlad, if he's referring to the battle with the Wayne Riders, or if Gollum just doesn't know. It's a lot of battles, though. Maybe he knows more about spirits than he knows about history. Probably one of those places where, like, the orcs aren't being like, well, back in the year 44, the the great Battle of Daggerhead happened. (laughs) Famously astute historians, orcs. Look, that place is scary. The armies died there. Don't go there. It's a cursed place. That's probably probably why that's about all Gollum knows. Yeah, so they pass through, they see the little lights that dance around, and Gollum calls them candles of corpses. Probably candles of corpses. I haven't read it in a while, but don't you think that sounds more like Gollum? Candles of corpses. Candles of corpses. Candles of corpses. Like, that sounds more like the Gollum we know Thank you, Producer Gollum. Thank you, Producer Gollum. Thank you for chiming in. You're welcome. So... 
those candles would entrance the living and attempt to bring the bodies down into the water to get them to join the dead. So I feel like this marsh, once it got its first taste, it was like hungry for dead bodies. Yeah, it's like a living entity. Which to me is creepier than the spirits themselves. I think it's pretty cool. It's kind of like an anglerfish. Yeah, and the bodies, by the way, they only seem to appear in the water when the lights are lit. So if you happen to walk through the marsh and there's no lights, you're fine. But as soon as those candles come on, ooh, buddy. Ooh, buddy, you better hope you have a Smeagol to pull you out of the water when you jump in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were all, as we've said, spirits of men, but spirits in Tolkien are not only of men. You can also have spirits of Einor, right? So Valar and Maiar. Okay, yeah. They have a sort of ghostly spirit that can be released. So, for example, in her encounter with Sauron, Luthien threatened to strip him of his bodily form and send him back to Morgoth as a ghost. A Meyer essentially is a spirit. They can choose to take on a physical form if they wish. Yeah. But they essentially are a spirit. So all she's essentially doing is like, I'm going to strip you of your physical form. In my opinion, if I were Sauron, I would have been like, Ooh, oh, you really got me. Ooh, you got me. I'm, I'm a spirit. My boots. I'm a ghost to begin with, you dumb broad. But, yeah. um, but no, he took this very seriously. And so, kind of embarrassing, right? Maybe it was. Maybe it was just embarrassing. Maybe Morgoth would have been like, dude, you let a chick turn you into a ghost? Weak. Chump stuff. You got chumped on. And indeed, him being made into a ghost, that's basically exactly what happened after the downfall of Baradur. And in fairness, he was quite weak. He was kind of stuck as a ghost, form. right? Yeah. So maybe that's what he was more afraid of. I'm going to be weak for like a long time right. if I let this dizzy dame force me out of my body. The most definitive ghosts in all of Tolkien's work are, of course, what we discussed last week. The ghosts that dwelt in the paths of the dead beneath the Dwimmerberg. Right. They were cursed there, though. They were cursed by Isil. So that, we know that ghosts can be made through a curse, apparently. Huh, okay. Um, not just through dying under weird circumstances and not going to the halls of Mandos or wherever the heck you're supposed to go, mm-hmm. but somebody can literally curse you to be a ghost. So that's interesting. So what I want to end on here, in Tolkien's cosmology, any rational living creature, so like elves... Men, presumably also dwarves, hobbits, anything rational. I don't know whether he would have considered orcs rational or not. In their way. They have two vital elements, the Hroa and the Fea. And the Hroa was a material body, and the Fea was the immaterial essence, so like a soul. So it's basically just Catholicism, but... But in fantasy terms. In fantasy terms, exactly, with made-up fantasy terms. There was also, there appeared to be, so it's hard to say if he considered Valinor like to be heaven, and if his cosmology encompasses a hell. The closest thing that I've read to hell in Tolkien's universe is the Wraith world, or the Unseen sure, world. Sure, sure, sure. Right? So these creatures have a distinctly different presence than what is observable in the normal world. Uh, you can only really see them when you have the ring on, when you yourself are in the Wraith world. And that is in contrast to ghosts, which you seem to be able to see even without Everywhere. that. Yeah. So I guess, from what I can tell, the closest thing in Tolkien to a hell would be the Wraith world. Okay. So, I mean, Valinor is kind of portrayed as a, a physical place too, right? It is. It's very much like Avalon. Okay, Which sure. Tolkien would know about because he was into that stuff. Arthurian so, legend. Arthurian legend. This, yeah, the mist of Avalon. Sure, yeah. So I guess that's sort of what I would compare it to. But on another I mean, more meta level, it's basically heaven. I think you could spell Avalon with the letters in Valinor. I don't think you can because there's no R in Avalon. 
Here, let me try this. Here, I don't, I don't, I don't know that. All right, so Valinor, V A L I N O R, right? Yes. Avalon, A V. See, we're getting our first problem here. Uh, the Ave is. So it would be Avilon. But you'll notice same number of letters. One... No, nope. There's an R missing. Avaloner. Avalon. <laughs> You're right. So basically, if Avalon was called Avaloner instead of Avalon, this theory would be airtight. If so I'm facto, just saying, it is airtight. There's a little bit of, of parallelism here. I'm just pointing it out. No, I think it has a similar sound to Avalon, and I don't know that that's entirely an accident. So okay. I think you might be onto something. Now call me Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock. What I like about Tolkien's ghosts is that they aren't defined. I think that's cool. Because I just know, if this was a thing in Star Wars, it'd be like, they weren't actually spirits at all. They were spectralons from the planet uh, Dead Bog. It'd be dead like D-E-D-B-O-G. And they, uh, you know, not very ethereal forms. They would give you, like, their exact height, their exact weight. They weigh like the average, grams. Like, the average muscle tension of their thighs. Right, yeah. <laughs> Whether or not they were allowed to use their claws for climbing trees. Excellent swimmers, and known yeah. for their gestation period of seven months. How many for-profit days. prisons they've opened. Yeah, yeah. That would all be in there. So I, no, Tolkien is pretty good about not over... Well, okay, I don't want to say that, because sometimes he gives more details than people care to read, at least some people care to read. But when it comes to supernatural stuff, I feel like he's pretty good about not over explaining well he keeps the mystery sherlock yes maybe as a spiritual person watson he was able to do that he was more able to accept these things that didn't have like a clear-cut scientific explanation and so that came out in his writing i wanted to be sherlock okay you're sherlock i'm watson you're sherlock too okay we're both there can't be two sherlocks one of us has to die moriarty so ryan what frightful tale of pseudo rl steinian delight do you have for me oh i got another another adventure here between uncle hool and tosh and zach because i'm going into the third book of the galaxy of fear series so presented for the approval of the midnight society i present to you planet plague i know you're gonna replace that i just wanted to do it okay okay now, this book, I should mention right off the bat, I could not find a legal version of it. So I, <gasps> I found a PDF of it. But the PDF was one of those things where they did scan to text. And so... There so were some words that like are not quite right? Yeah, some words weren't words at all. And did also, you record any of the especially funny ones? I did not, because I wanted to get through this as fast as possible. Got but it. There also were not any chapter breaks, so I had to kind of guess where the stupid cliffhangers were supposed to be. You could and probably... It, it made it, it was pretty obvious. What was though. funny is that, like... And you read it like straight through and there's no chapter breaks. It's like, and then this happened. And, but actually, it was not that big a deal. <laughs> like in the very next sentence. Like, <laughs> that sounds like extremely funny when it's not like a cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I'm not going to split up into chapters. I'm just going to go straight through. So it's a little bit like, and then he died. But he didn't really exactly. die. Exactly. Okay, cool. Exactly. All right. Right into Planet Plague. So the prologue of Planet Planet. Oh, the prologue to Planet Plague. That's a hard thing to say. Whoosh, prologue I don't know why Planet you wrote yourself into that Plague. Corner. We get our mysterious scientist again in the last two prologues. He's getting reamed by the Emperor via hologram. Like, you have failed so many times. And so he says, don't worry, my lord. I will see to this next project personally. Project Starscream will be a success this time. 
I don't know, because the two first stages have already failed, so wouldn't you say that's already a failure? Or are these not supposed to build on each other? I, you know what? I don't know. I think they seem, they're all, maybe they're distinct phases. I can, judging from these three books, knowing how this one ends, they're all kind of distinct from each other. Then so. they're not really all part of the same, pro- I mean, like, I know this is semantics, but the scientist is stupid at how he delineates his projects. He's got, lot, he's got fingers and lots of Starscream pies out there. Yes. Like, it can't all be Starscream. If everything's Starscream, then nothing's Starscream. Right. Anyway, he assures the Emperor, I'll take care of it myself this time. Don't you worry, big guy. But now going into the first bit, and it's probably the scariest beginning of any Galaxy of Fear book we've read so far. Is it really? Truly? Well, Tosh is locked in her room. I'll read the paragraph. Okay. To Tosh, it was amazing that the intelligent species of the galaxy had learned to travel from one end of the galaxy to the other, to create droids that were intelligent as humans or any other organic creature, but still no one had come up with the cure for every teenage human's nightmare. Zits. zits! I know. I was going oh, to say it was either zits yeah. or it's her first period. They're not going to say that in, in this book. Why? Uh, didn't you say it's for 12-year-olds? Yeah. 12-year-old girls definitely get periods. I know, but I don't think... I feel like Star Wars would have been breaking new ground by acknowledging biological realities of its female characters. You know what, though? I did kind of like them breaking new ground talking about kids getting zits in Star Wars. Like, that's pretty fun. Mace definitely had zits in the Ewok adventure. He did. Like, especially in the second one? Yeah. Yeah, puberty, man. Before he got blasted by pirates. Uh, (laughs) That's why they had to kill him off. Like, this kid's got zits. We can't make money (laughs) off him anymore. Execute him. Anyway, she's kind of miffed about this. She got Zach's teasing her about it. So she gets up to on her computer and goes on her jury-rigged Holonet account. Oh. Like, is this how, like, you know, people in China will hack the firewall? Yeah. This is space internet, if you don't know about the Holonet. And it's heavily regulated by the Empire. But if you have the right insider note, you can kind of bypass firewalls and stuff and get on your own kind of pirated channel. And see, like... Funny cartoons of the Chinese president dancing with a alpaca. Yeah, images of the Chinese president as Winnie the Pooh. Or kissing Obama. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So she gets on her account. Her name on there is Searcher. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty cool name. Yeah, I think. To talk to her e-friend who goes by the name Forceflow. I can't believe neither of them had to be like... Searcher or Force Flow, like, for 2069 or 123-2000 yeah. or... Well, again, this, these are on they the... They got in on this early. They're on, like, the dark web part of the Holonet, uh, so they can, they can call themselves whatever they want, on, like, baby. like, Silk Road. Yeah. They're getting, like, you know, black market inhalers. So Force Flow's kind of this cool, secretive hacker guy. He goes on there and he posts information about Jedi history, even though it's strictly outlawed by the Empire, obviously. Cool. Respect he that. gets on there, he puts in his own information and stuff like that, so he's a cool guy. She goes in there to kind of be like, hey, what do you know about my Uncle Hool? I still don't know his first name. He's really shady and weird. We found this stuff about Imperial documents. He's like outrageously neglectful. He just always leaves us with like the single most dangerous person on any given planet. As Forceful is about to answer, the ship gets jostled and the connection is knocked out. Because Zack is in the piloting seat. And she figures, my idiot brother just like... Sucks at piloting. Sucks at piloting. So she marks up the cockpit to give him a piece of it. And she sees him on the ground. And he says, uh, I'm feeling prime. Despite, like, looking like hell. You don't look like Prime. He's all white. He's all clammy and everything. And Uncle Hool shows up out of nowhere and say, he passed out in the pilot seat. I mean, your first guess, if you were in care of this boy, like, maybe he's got PTSD from being buried alive, like, a few days ago. Or his first period. Maybe that reagent Dr. Evazon put in it, or his first period. Or his first period. Either one. I mean, they're both, like, equally serious conditions, I like to think. So, DV9 has found encoded documents in Dr. Evazon's ship. Because remember, they bought his ship. Yes. The Shroud. Yes, they did. That's right. And he finds all these connections to something called Project Starscream. Oh, there's gonna be so much creepy garbage in there. Oh, yeah. Tons of weird, gross documents from the HoloNet. Ew. So he found about Project Starscream? Yes. And he's like, no, I like Megatron better. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because DV is going to be the kind of guy who watches Transformers. I think not. He's, oh, okay. I'm he, sorry. I'm sorry I said something so unrealistic. DV9 is a sophisticated anthropology droid who has no time for bullshit. So I'm really sorry that as we're talking about this book, we're like zombies and ghosts and like shapeshifters exist. I said something so unrealistic as a robot is watching Transformers. You're really like breaking my immersion here. Yeah, my, I'm sorry to do that. It's okay, but... It's really unforgivable. Don't, don't do it again. Okay, never again. So anyway... Tasha's like, well, hey, I got this friend Forceful. He's really good at hacking. He, I could ask him about Starscream. And very briefly, Uncle Hool turns it into a Degrassi episode. He goes, Tosh, I know the Holonet can be a source of entertainment and education, but I can't say I approve of the friendships you acquire. You never know whom you may be talking to. This Forceful may be a prankster or a troublemaker. No, he's not, Tash said. But then he agrees to like, let her give it a try anyway. So so if this is a real Degrassi episode, she's going to end up with gonorrhea in her mouth. Right, yeah. So, gonna... you know, or that episode of Smart Guy where that video game dude tried to get TJ Henderson to take off his shirt. Yeah, exactly. It's going to end up like that. Is that first episode of Degrassi with Emma, right? That's what I'm thinking of. Yes, that the cute boy that ended up being a middle-aged man. Yes. Yes. Oh, sure. So she sends the files to Force Flow, but in between the transfer, their connection gets an Imperial scam put over it. Oh, so Force no. wants to disconnect like immediately. You don't want to get caught by those guys. They're going to mess you up up. Then Zack passes out again, and he's got a massive fever this time. Uncle Hul tells him they're not far from the Madala Infirmary on the planet Gobindi. Apparently it's run by one of his old friends who worked with him on the Imperial Biological Welfare Department. Biological Welfare? Yeah. Wait, so he worked in the Imperial Biological Welfare Department. Really? And so this is very mysterious, right? Wait, sorry, I, I must have missed that. Was that mentioned earlier? No, this is news to Tosh. Oh, okay. It's surprising to her, too. She doesn't like the sound of it, because obviously she hates Imperials, and she thinks her uncle's kind of shady at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he is. That's yeah. not just, like, her thought. But then again, her brother got injected with a death serum, so, you know, you gotta do something. Right. So they had to go bendy, and they're met immediately by a Star Destroyer firing on them. Ooh, no! Apparently they've been targeted because as a pirate ship because Zack, when he fell asleep, he forgot to turn off the telesponder that kind of beams out like, this is my ship's name, oh, we're okay. sucks, like, just nonstop. So nonstop they, suckage from this I know. So they turn back on the telesponder and the Imperial's like, oh, sorry about that. You guys are free to go on your way. This is what also happens when you approach the CDC. Yeah, yeah, they just shoot at you. <laughs> they shoot at you. They shoot out a Star Destroyer. There's all these other Star Destroyers in the system as well. There's like three of them around the planet. Yeah. They're like, what's going on here? This is weird. So they land at Gobindi. It's a jungle planet. Madala is their capital where Hul's old buddy lives. His name is Dr. Kavorkian. Dr. Kavorkian. No, Dr. Kavafi. <laughs> Dr. Kavafi? Dr. Kavafi. Dr. Momar Gaddafi? Dr. Momar Kavafi. Okay. Kofefe. Kofefe. Ooh, that's a burn Once again, once again, we're bringing back all the old Politics, baby. They pass over all these monuments, these these ziggurats. They're built by the Gobindi people who apparently vanished like centuries ago. Under mysterious circumstances, I assume? Under mysterious circumstances, you assume. And there's none left. Wow. Now this is like an imperial uh, medical planet. With a bunch of other, like, tourists who have come to visit. And like, for medical, medical tourism? Like, yes. how, you know, Americans go to Vietnam and stuff? Yeah. Okay. So you land, and they're met by Dr. Kavafi. He's a human male, about 50 years old. He's got this brown, grayish hair and a big smile and face. Technicians take Zach, who's still, like, all fevery and, like, woozy, and put him on a, on a hover gurney. Before they leave, Tosh makes sure to check her messages from Force Flow. And she's got a few responses from him. With the big one being, stay away from Gobindi. Yeah, that sounds pretty definitive. But too late, they're already there. And so they all get on the medical shuttle, and they go up to the infirmary, which is built on top of the tallest and biggest ziggurat on the planet. Oh, dang. There's a cliffhanger about being stopped by stormtroopers, I think. You the, think? You can't even tell. Because the very next sentence is like, oh, they have the proper credentials. Pass on through, sir. So, so you're like, that was strangely anticlimactic. Oh, it was supposed to be one of the That's when I first figured it out. Uh-huh. It's explained to them that there's been lots of pirate activity, and so the Imperials have been on high alert lately. 
So the hospitals run entirely by Imperials, who are all humans. The Empire does not hire aliens, generally yeah. speaking, except for people like Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's kind of a special case. And they have mostly human patients, but there are some aliens scattered among them who have come here to get cured for whatever ails them. Dr. Gavafi tells him that Zack probably has a strain of influenza, which I did not know existed in Star Wars. Wow, okay. Uh, sure. I mean, if they can have cats and, you know, whatever else, then... Why not influenza? Dr. Gavafi shows Tosh what his infection looks like. He sees this thing called the electroscope, which is kind of like a visor you put on. And you can not only see, like bacteria in the air but you can zoom in on it and see how they look up close Ooh. and so she watches like these viruses attack a cell inside of zach's body and she freaks out because it's like like these huge man-sized cells yeah man grody yeah, pretty scary stuff kavafi insists that hul and tosh get shots as well in case they also have the flu okay so they get some injections when everyone's out of earshot tosh finally tells her uncle like my friend force flow says this place is bad we gotta leave and he's like don't let your internet friends change our plans it's gonna give you a social disease yep he goes, I know how you feel about the Empire, and you have a right to be angry. But you have to understand that the government has officers, soldiers, and fleets of ships all across the galaxy. Most of the time, they're just beings going about their daily business. If you think that every time you see stormtroopers, you've uncovered a wicked Imperial plot, you will go insane with worry. You must learn to control your suspicion, or it will control you, young Tash. I want to know what your thought process was when you are like, I think I'll give this guy a slight lisp. I want to make him sound kind of like Vincent Price. Oh. That's why I picture playing Uncle Hool when I read it. But I can't do a really good Vincent Price voice. Even though your mom met him and yeah. like sold tickets with him. Oh, he sounds like a wonderful man. I think he's really good at being like a horror bad guy. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. Keep doing the voice. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So who volunteers to stay with Zach for once? He decides not to, not to F off and do his own thing. He stays with Zach as he's being treated. God, finally. Some sense of responsibility in this dude. He sends Tosh and DV9 out for some fresh air. They take the elevator down with Dr. Kavafi. And Tosh asks, does this go all the way down inside of the ziggurat? Because this thing is built on the very top of it. Can you imagine like a step pyramid? Yeah. With this big imperial hospital built on top of it. Okay, yeah, I'm getting an image this huge, in my It's basically this eye. mountain with all the bits carved out. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 no. It's just a big rock. A lot of these pyramids are just mountains with the sides carved off. You know. There's nothing inside is what he's saying. Right. Like, it's not hollow. Yep. I bet that's totally true. Totally true. I bet that is completely voracious. Yeah. Tosh and Devi go and take a walk. It's super humid. It's a jungle planet. They're up in the mountains. And they walk across this bridge hundreds of meters above the ground. Then this shape kind of drops in front of them a ways away. It's this big green blob thing. As they get closer to investigate, it lunges at them. No! It starts to blob up Devi. It grabs him by the leg and starts to slurp him up. Ooh! When a mysterious man shows up, he rips the blob off of DV, but then gets caught himself. But DV, now that he's free, helps him lift up the blob and throw it off the bridge. Nice. With his droid strength. Nice. Well, I don't know how much strength it takes to lift a blob, but... I don't know. I'm like, who is this guy? And he introduces himself. His name is Wedge Antilles. No! So this is the one we get for this, this story? This is, is our, Wedge Antilles? This is our canon character. Wedge Antilles. So he's not the, 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 the chunky one. No, that's not... He's not Porkins. A chunky one that they gave a really mean last name to. Wedge, if you don't know Wedge Antilles, is in all three Star Wars movies. He's kind of a big character in the extended universe. He gets, like, named in the movies, but he's always just an extra pilot guy. And he's from Alderaan, right? Because Antilles is a very common name on Alderaan, and yeah. that's why they explain why there's two guys or called Corellia. Antilles. Corellia. 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 He's a, he's a Corellian pilot, just like Han Solo. There's a whole series with him, the Rogue Squadron novels. Yeah. That are about him. They're pretty cool. It's kind of like Top Gun in Star Wars, but less volleyball. Okay. So. Well, the volleyball is the only thing that made me watch Top Gun, so I'm yeah. out. He offers to show Tosh and DV around the capital, Madala, because he's been stuck there because of this blockade going on. She's been stuck here for three weeks. The Empire claims that it's because of pirates, but Wedge says there hasn't been any pirates. They're just talking nonsense. They got a different reason. They're talking. But he's really curious because apparently no ship's been let in except for the, the Shroud. 
the uh, Uncle Hul ship. Why is that the only one? It's weird, right? Like, no other ships been let in the last three weeks, but this one got through. Tosh tells him, yeah, my bro Zack is sick. He's up at the infirmary, and he gets all serious, and he's like, no one's come out of that infirmary alive in weeks. Oh, thanks. That's comforting. Not like, oh, I'm sure he'll be all right, but, like, your person's going to die. Before Tosh can ask more, in the streets in front of them, a swarm of stormtroopers come out, and they pin this Rodian guy. Like a Rodian, like, like Greedo guy. Wearing a jacket or he, wearing he, not a jacket? He is wearing a jacket. Oh, so in that case, it must be our boy, unidentified Rodian, wearing a jacket. And to be honest, they don't ever give him his name. So he book. is. He literally is unidentified. So this is our boy. Yeah. They this s- is our boy from Wikipedia. They sack his ass and they pin him on the ground. They announce nice everybody. catch Blanco Nino. Attention, citizens of Madala. The being we were taking into custody has been identified as a suspected pirate and smuggler. He's being taken into custody for the security of all. And of course, he's like, I'm not a smuggler. I'm not, I'm not a pirate. That's exactly what a smuggler and a pirate would say. So when Tosh turns around to look for Wedge, he's gone. He's gone. Where'd he go? Because he doesn't want to get picked up for being a pirate and a smuggler. And she sees a wanted poster on the wall. <gasps> there's a roading in it. Yes, and there's, Wedge? There's a Bothan, and there's two humans. One of them Wedge. Oh, my. There's a blockade about pirates, but he's not a, not a pirate. Wait a minute. I mean, we know that. We know that, but she doesn't know she that. She thinks he's a pirate, obviously. Yeah. Like, of course. It's That's what a, I would assume. That Rodian was his buddy. Pirate this, is, this, scum. Is, this is a pirate gang. Tosh starts thinking that, well, if we were allowed to come here, then maybe Okahul really is an Imperial agent. That's what it seems to be adding up to, yeah. I mean, he has Imperial friends. He got instructions from the Empire at one point in the first book, and he was allowed past the Imperial blockade, so, you know. Yeah, and she has this thought. She says, if that's the case, then he's no uncle of mine. She hates the Empire. Oh, man. Because they blew up her planet. Well, yeah, of course. And they killed her family. Yeah. And they gave her zits, probably. Yeah, of course. That's all Imperial bioweapons. God, it sucks. So she and DV, they march back to the infirmary. That, you know, give Uncle Who what for. Inside Tosh notices where she was injected has now become this brown lump. Oh, gr- what? Is that like a TB test? It's like inside, yeah. It's no, like it was a, supposed to be a flu shot. Flu shots don't do that. It's like a bruise, but it's like lumpy and it's, it's brown. Dr. Kavafi takes her to Zach's room where he's awake, but he's getting treatment inside of a tank of Bacta fluid. Ba- what? Do you know Bacta fluid? Uh-uh. You seen The Empire Strikes Back, the, the Star Wars movie? Yeah. You remember when Luke gets mauled by a wampa? Yeah. And they put him in that big jar of goop and he's wearing a diaper? I think so. Let me give you a I picture. I think so. <laughs> Fill up a picture for me. This part might have, I might have missed this part. Anyway, so, okay, so Luke was in a diaper and some fluid and this fluid has healing properties. Yes, yeah, so it. it's basically the galaxy-wide cure-all. Okay. You put it in there. It's kind of like supercharged aloe vera. Like it's going to cure your wounds. It might even get, you know, take care of the bacteria in your body. It's not going to take care of cancer though. I don't know so about that. don't smoke, Don't kids. Don't smoke Bacta. Apparently, Zach has something called impunenza necrosi, which sounds awful. Well, the necrosi part certainly doesn't sound very nice. And Kavafi, you know, you put him in this back of the tank, so you must actually want him to get better, right? Like you would think. I mean, Bacta, that's what it yeah. is. It's medicinal. So Tosh apologized to him for kind of being suspicious of him and, and her uncle. And she asked him about this new bump on her arm, and he's like, no, nah, it's probably just a bad reaction to it's the acne. injection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just more acne. So all sets are going to be in the future. Yeah. Trust me, I'm a doctor. So keep an eye on it. Let me know if it gets worse, you know? I'll take care of your bro. Hul has to return to the ship with DV, so he leaves Tosh with Zach's back to tank, keeping company. Yeah. Zach's awake in there. He's kind of like... He's he bored as hell. Yeah. He does all his miming of, like, doing the sleeping <laughs> motions and all that. I can't even hoverboard in here. This is not prime at all. <laughs> Dr. Kavafi has to leave too, so he's like, here, Tosh, you can go on our computer. It has all the information about our hospital if you want to, like, go through our our tour, a virtual tour. Alternatively, if you want to update your buddy profile, that's cool. That's great. AOL on here. Yeah, yeah. 
It has got these public documents on it, and they're mostly just Imperial propaganda talking about how great the Imperial medical system yeah, are. of and course. They're, and we're, they're like, we're looking to improve species lives everywhere. And Tosh thinks to herself, except on Alderaan. Yeah. So she's like, this is boring. She backs out of the public section of the computer. Now she has a password screen in front of her. She's like, hmm, what can I try? So she types in S-T-A-R-S-C-R-E-A-M. Like she saw on, on Dr. Avada Kedavra. <laughs> Sorry. Dr. Evazon? Dr. Evazon Avada Kedavra. Dr. Avada Kedavra. Oh, that would be a good name. That would be a great name. The screen changes. And where I used to say biological welfare division. That's his biological killing division. You're pretty close. It's biological weapons division. Oh my that god. That W in the acronym? It's weapons. That actually stands for weapons. She manages to mime to Zach that Project Starscream owns this whole place. She actually points at a star chart and then she makes a screaming motion. And then she heads back towards the ship and she passes Dr. Kavafi on the way. Her arm is numb now. <sighs> and the jungle's super humid, but she makes it back to the landing dock exhausted. DV is there, but not Uncle Hool. Where's Uncle oh, Hool? Well, I mean, like, she should be used to that. Uncle Hool just Fs off whenever he feels like she it. She tries to get on the holonet, but there's a, now a transmission block because of the blockade. Right. She can't even connect to the holonet. So she can't talk to her friend, acid test. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> acid burn? Acid burn, not acid test. <laughs> a force flow. I mean, like, to begin with, that was a reference from the movie Hackers, and I yeah. couldn't even do it properly. It's I'm done. I quit this podcast. Bye, I'll do it solo from now okay. on. Okay. But then someone sneaks up behind her. It's Wedge and the two other pirates. Oh, the other human who's got scars on his face and the and a bothan. Now Tosh panics. She's like, "Oh my god, these pirates are back! They're here to steal our ship. This sucks." Then Wedge tells her, "Actually, we're a bunch of rebels." She gets all excited. She's like, "Oh my god!" She's all jazzed about this. And it turns out the reason that the plan's been blockaded is because guess what? Wedge and his friends are here spying on the Imperial medical program. Uh, so Wedge is like, listen, you guys are the only ship that's been able to enter. You're probably the only ship that can leave, too. So when I give you the signal, can you and your uncle help us get off this planet? She's like, yeah, of course. That's great. And so... Uh, People on my Marxist Tumblr aren't going to believe yeah. this. <laughs> Just then, the scarred human screams. He's being grabbed by one of those green blobs. <gasps> it blobbed onto the ship. Another jelly? Wedge and the Bothan help loose him and toss the blob out of the ship. They're wearing gloves, of course. Wedge thinks the Empire's creating these blobs because the Stormtroopers refuse to kill them. Yeah. And they've been appearing more ever since the blockade started. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I think there's some connection here. Tosh tells him she found out about the Imperial Biological Weapons Division. The Scar Human passes out at this moment. And he looks just how Zack did, all pale and clammy and uh, everything. Uh, they put it together. These blobs must be carriers for some disease. So Wedge and the boys take off and say, wait for our signal. We're going to take care of our buddy. Tosh decides, I got to go back to this hospital. I got I to blow this thing wide open, right? So she's sweating. She's feeling lethargic. Her brown lump is thumping on her arm. But she makes it there. Finally, only her anger keeps her moving, it says. When she gets there, the Bakta tank is empty. Zach's not there anymore. Uh-oh. She tries to get on the computer terminal again, but she's caught by one of Kavafi's technicians. So what are you doing there? Meanwhile, DV's heading back to the ship with Zach. Oh, DV took him? Yeah. Tosh is out there waiting for them, which annoys DV a lot. Then Zach steps <coughs> in something green and sticky. Oh, God. He's going to get double influenza now. No, it's just a slime trail left behind by that blob that got on the ship. DV tries to explain what it might be from, but Zach just hears monster blob and runs off following the, the slime trail. Ooh, I'm going to feed it to my hamster. It's going to be crime. It's going to be monster blood part two. He's like, my sister must have been blob. That's why she's not here. You see almost that the blob trail goes down the side of the pyramid? Yeah. The ziggurat? And she's like, I gotta get down there. So they run down the stairs. DV follows after him, but he doesn't realize they're being followed by two other people. Uh, Who? We'll find out. Because we're going back to Tosh. 
the technician has a droid take her to Dr. Kavafi. She's in trouble. She goes, laser burn, under her breath. Is that like a swear word? I think it's cool. Laser burn. It's cooler. It's cooler than Prime. Yeah, laser burn. Prime. She gets on the floor with Dr. Kavafi, but instead of Kavafi, she hears Uncle Hul in the distance. Oh, good. Maybe. He says, I can't thank you enough. Let me in on your secret, Kavafi. Tasha never heard her uncle sound so friendly or relaxed. I'm sure it is a worthwhile endeavor. She hides as soon as Hul and Kavafi head to the elevator. You hear Kavafi say, bottom floor. So as soon as they're gone, Tosh tries to follow in another elevator, only to be told the bottom floor requires a password. She pulls out her ace in the hole again. She says, Starscream. And the elevator starts moving. Why are they so stupid? They just like give the same password for everything in the building. You're not supposed to do that. I know, right? And you're not supposed to name after a secret government project. You're always supposed to use a capital letter, a lowercase letter, a number, a symbol, right? Yeah, it's like if you use the name of your dog for your password for like your MySpace and your Facebook and your bank account. And that's, your Neopets? Yeah, that's stupid. You're just asking somebody to hack your Neopets and steal your rainbow paintbrush. No. So anyway, she finds herself down in the bottom. And this is unlike any of the floors of this hospital. It's, instead of made of this sleek metal, it's made of wet stone. Ooh. Very little light is in it here. Ancient? Yeah, there's no guards, no stormtroopers in here. There's not much light. But as she walks, she notices some dripping coming from the ceiling. She looks up. A bunch of green blobs are stuck to the ceiling. Ready to drop! She tries to run back to the lift, but the blobs drop down and block her way. She has to run the other direction. Oh, God. She takes off, deeper and deeper in the hallway, losing them behind her. And she feels like crap the whole time, by the way. Well, yeah, because they've given her a disease. That brown lump is now blackish, and the veins surrounding it are black as well. Ew! Not great. She eventually reaches a more open area with rows of transparent cells that hold blobs inside of them. Then there's one more at the end, and it has the Rodian in it from before (gasps) that got sacked by the Imperials. Is this the way of, like, capital punishment? He's lying on the ground, and he's covered in slime. He seizes and seems really angry. As you see him shout, the slime doubles in size, swallowing him whole. And then again, it keeps growing and growing until there's no Rodian left. Whoa. Tosh figures it out. These blobs were people who were infected by a virus. Ew, they turn into blobs? Yeah. Anyway. That, that's our shocking reveal. Zack and DV make it to the bottom of the ziggurat, and they are surprised, surrounded by blobs as soon as they get down there. Yeah, of course. But then, pew pew, laser bolts. The two guys following them? It was Wedge and his Bothan bro. Oh, thank God. Thank God, right? Thank God. They find a door on the side of the ziggurat with a strange Gobindi inscription above it. DV starts to translate it. Part of it's a chemical equation of some mysterious origin. And next to it is a warning not to disturb this building because it marks a spot where a deadly virus will seal up for all of eternity. Kind of like smallpox. A little bit. That's what the CDC said of smallpox, right? They buried it in like an ancient ziggurat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tasha is still exploring this terrible lab and she finds a big room lined and covered in fungus. Ew. All sides, all this green fungus everywhere. She gets it. She gets a bad feeling about it as soon as she enters, but then the door slams behind her. This, booms a voice over a hidden loudspeaker, is the final test of the Gobindi virus. Another door opens up across the chamber, and Dr. Kavafi is tossed in. Wait a minute. But he looks gaunt. His hair is falling out. He's all dirty. Wait a minute. Was he a good guy all along? Did they just and, torture him? And Tosh's like, Dr. Kavafi. And he's like, who are you? She goes, Tasharanda. He's like, oh, yeah, I know your uncle Hul. I haven't seen him in years. Oh, so it's the... <gasps> so the one she met was a fake. A phony. Oh. So it turns out he came to Gobindi to do virus research, but was kidnapped six weeks ago and locked in a dungeon below the ziggurat. Someone stole his identity and replaced all of his staff with their own scientists. Oh. Their own evil, evil scientists. He exposits to Tosh that the Gobindi were destroyed by a virus that lived in the surface of their planet, and all of them were wiped out by it, but not before they sealed the sources of the virus and themselves inside the ziggurats. 
Oh, shit. Locking themselves inside. Oh. So the virus cannot spread to the other parts of the galaxy. Oh, dang. That's the ultimate sacrifice. Kavafi told the Empire about this, and that's when they threw him in the dungeon. And so... He's like, we don't want to hear about heroic sacrifice. Shut up. So he believes they've used the virus to engineer a new virus that can infect the entire galaxy. Oh, I see. So we've got, like, a planet-eating planet. Yeah. And then we've got a virus that kills everybody, and then we've got a death serum. Yep. And these are all part of one... Galaxy. A, like, a galaxy of fear, if A you galaxy will. of fear, no less. I feel like they might have, especially since it's like one guy running the whole project, I feel like he might have overextended himself. I feel like he might need to take a weekend just for him. Yeah, this scientist guy, he's really ambitious, and I think he just needs like some me time. Yeah, like when was the last time you did something for yourself, Not scientist? Project Starscream. Not Project Starscream, but for you. Well, speaking of him, Tosh is like, who could have done this? Who could have who could have impersonated you so perfectly? And she hears a voice over the speaker. I could. And she looks up at the at the observation deck and she sees Ashido. Hool? Well, this one's not Uncle Hool. He's kind of short and chubby with a round face. The Shido tells Tosh that Zack is becoming a blob creature in his cell. Of course. He's not because, yeah, because he's outside ZD, fighting blobs. got him out. He's out fight, fighting blobs with, with Wedge outside. Domestic violence, the robot. Yeah. He got him out. <laughs> He says, you deserve this for meddling in my last two experiments. The Gobindi virus is nothing special until I modified it. Now it can travel by air, so let's test it out. The scientist is also a Shido. Yes. Is that how he knows Hool? Were they like high school friends? they buds, yeah. And Hool's like, oh, that guy was always a dick. Fans begin blowing warm air into the chamber. Tosh managed to snag the electroscope earlier, so she puts it on and sees this kind of red mist made of worms coming into the room. <gasps> Part of this grand experiment. His big plan... He's going to infect the entire city with all these different alien species and see how it affects all of them. Ooh. Yeah. She can tell that the air around the real Dr. Kavafi is safe. But as the red worms reach her, they don't go into her arm. They don't even go into her body. They touch her and kind of back off. They don't they're, like her. They're not into her. They're not into her because of the injection? She might be immune, right? She takes this opportunity to go bust open a, a vent and sneak through it. Yeah. And she ends up in the pumping room where they're going to pump all the all the virus into the city. Okay. And she finds her Uncle Hool in a cell. And he also has the, the gas being pumped into his cell. But to prevent it, he's doing something pretty clever. Because every time the, the stuff touches him, he changes shape. See, now that's the thing. Okay. Well, yeah. the, the thing about viruses needing very specific vectors, he really only would need to change into like a frog or something. And then the virus is like, I don't know what to do with these cells. I can't replicate in this. And then it goes away. So it's kind of horrific. Imagine this guy just rapidly shifting between a bunch of different animals and creatures, some like halfway, some. The other Shido shows up. He's wearing a gas mask, of course. And he's impressed with Hool's resourcefulness, his old rival. Tosh tells him, I must be immune because like, they're not bugging me. He replies, you've been infected since day one, my dear. What, the injection? And sure enough... Injection infection? The lump on her arm begins to ooze with green slime, and it covers her arm. So, basically the virus is like, nope, nothing to do here. Yep. The other Sheeta laughs and says, he'll get the best view of his grand experiment from orbit. So he takes off, runs away. He leaves Tosh and Hul to suffer. Tosh struggles to get her uncle's cell, but every time she gets angry, the blob just covers her more. She's full of rage right now. She's so, so anger makes it. Yeah, she remembers something about the Jedi keeping calm... And collected, and they don't follow a code of revenge. So she decides, like, okay, maybe after I should just calm my mind, clear my mind. She finds that the calmer she gets, the blob backs off more. She doesn't like meditate. Basically. So she gets calmer and calmer. And the more calm she gets, the more limbs are free. She can move again. She gets closer to the cell and she opens up for her uncle, who says, almost smiles. Almost! This is like the first time she's ever seen that. So in other words, almost! <laughs> almost gives her some morsel of approval. Yeah. 
I want to say my theory is that this is all an allegory for acne because everything you just said about this virus is also true. It's all acne, yeah. You get angry, it makes you grow. It spreads, um, and you calm down and it goes away. Yeah, when you're stressed, acne shows up. And you've been infected with it from day one. That is true. And they pump it through the air. Doctors, doctors injected you with it when you were a child. You thought, you thought they were giving you autism with those vaccines? Oh no. So I think Acne. when they discovered, like, the Mayan pyramids at Chichen Itza, they opened up the ziggurats, and that's when zits happened. They're like, oh no, acne! It's like how Pandora's box, she opened it and introduced suffering to the world, yeah. but even worse. And they're like, where have the Mayans gone? Oh, they locked themselves away with acne. And they're-, they're so embarrassed that they didn't even go out to go buy food at the Kmart, and then they all starved to death. Yeah. I think it's totally airtight, Joanna. Yeah, that's what theory. happened. So who has a moment here? He wookies out. And he smashes the pumping console. Nice. Well, first of all, the air stops pumping into the rooms. Second of all, the town is now safe because they'll be able to pump all the gas into the town. And so, yay. Good. Yeah. That's positive. They rush back to grab Dr. Kavafi, and they do. But the original way they got in is now blocked by rampaging green blobs. So they got to find a different way out. They run through the hallway so they find a door. They open it up and they see Zack and DV and two rebels fighting off blobs. Oh, wow. Heroically, I assume. Yeah. And not angrily. Not angrily. Because if you get angry, they're just going to attach to you. Yeah. Uncle Hul turns into... This is really weird. Uncle turns into a giant frog and gets That's all, what I said he should do! And he jumps them all into a top of a, of a, of a high wall. Oh, he's like, hop on, kids! Yep. One at a time, he jumps He jumps up Zach, jumps up Tash, jumps up DV, jumps up the Rebels. He does that so that they can see where they stand, like, in his esteem. Because yeah. whoever went first is the one he loves the most. They're all safe on top of this wall. Uh, he asks for about a cure for Tosh, because now they're still sliming. Yeah. She has it in, like, kind of, like, in remission at the moment. And DV says, well, there was that chemical equation on the wall. Perfect. That's our, that's our cure right there. Thank God they, like, left the chemical equation for the cure on the wall. So Hul turns into a giant bat creature called a rock. And they all ride on his back. Oh, man. He's giving rides at, He's giving rides at- Everybody. I know! I feel like he could have done this a lot more often in other books. They fly up to the now-abandoned infirmary. All the Imperials got off the planet because they know, oh, they're going to pump the, the gas into the town. We don't want to get infected, obviously. Duh. Um, duh. duh. And Dr. Gavafi is able to create an antidote. That's good. So a few hours later, Tosh is feeling better. She's still kind of woozy. And she ends her story with, I need a vacation. Kid, you don't even go to school. Your whole life <laughs> well, is a vacation. She does. She does. They get, t- they get tutored by DV9. When? We have never seen that happen once. Well, she's missing her lessons when she was locked in her room earlier. So DV9 was giving her a hard time about it. Now we get our epilogue. All right, let's hear it. 10,000 light years away, the evil Shido, who don't, you don't know the name of yet, the scientist from yeah. the beginning of prologues, he's flying to his secret citadel, carrying a small vial that's full of deadly electroscopic contents. Time to try again. Man, this guy doesn't give up. He has failed. Like... At every turn so far. You gotta admire his determination. He's gotten, he's gotten outwitted by middle schoolers at every single turn. And he's <laughs> like, this actually is gonna work. This is Strike 3 on Project Starscream. I don't know what else he plans on doing. Like, at some point, how many books are there in this series? Uh, there are 12. And he's already failed. Like, he's already 0 for 3. But I, for spoilers, I think the story with the evil Shido ends at book 6. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sur- surely by six strikes you're out. And like, then a- surely. And then another, ser- start- another story starts after that. But Yes. So anyway, that was Planet Plague. I gotta say, I did not like it as much as number two. I thought City of the Dead was pretty great. City of the Dead was really great. This one just felt kind of like a retread of Devourin a little bit. 
Sort of. Everything is going to have something to do with the Empire. So I'm curious to see if they're able to keep it fresh. We'll see. I'm hoping it does. Again, there's some good bits in here. I like the whole reveal of uh, the evil Shiito being the, the enemy. And now, you know, the shape-shifting abilities. Like, you wouldn't even thought about that. No, that definitely not. So that was pretty interesting. Um, I love the fact that it was all a metaphor for... For zits. zits. We'll see about the next one. Yeah, we'll see. What's so the next one called? I think it's called... Uh... The Nightmare Machine. Cool. Wow. It's got a good name, right? It has a great name. Wasn't that something in like DC Comics? Wasn't there something called The Nightmare Machine? I think I heard that on Vertigo's. I think there was, yeah. Yeah. Now that we've ended our spooky tales for today, we have to get into another spooky segment. The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. Spook edition. Not really. You know what's really spooky about it though? Is that uh, my, my grandma voted in this one. Oh, this is funny. We'll get to this. Yeah. Last week, we pitted Darth Icky, our reigning champion, against a new, extremely dangerous challenger, Teleporno. And I have to say, I really, really wanted to beat Darth Icky the third time, so I basically busted out my ace in the hole. Like, Teleporno is pretty OP. And what an ace it was, Joanna. Uh, Teleporno got about, let me do the math here. About four times the votes as Darth Icky. Well, that's thanks to my grandma, because my grandma voted... Yeah. My grandma, in her 80s, God-fearing Christian woman, voted for a character called Teleporno. She thought that was worse than Darth Icky, and I can't really disagree. She was right. I mean, Grandma, I love you, and you were right. Grandma, you were totally right. Now, we were talking about this. I feel like Teleporno is just going to be like this destroyer of worlds going forward. So, I don't know if this is going to hold a hold a, a candle, but... I think it's good in its stupidity, and so I hope that perhaps this challenger will be able to at least put a, a dent in his armor. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. So this person, he's a Tusken Raider, actually the, the one that knocked down Luke with his gaffy stick oh. in A New Hope. He has a name? Yes, he has a name. He's the leader of their tribe, and his name is... Whoa. That's U-R-O-R-R-U-R apostrophe R apostrophe R. So let's try that again. Whoa. Is it, so, sorry, is it like, are, are they all named after, like, the sounds that they make? Like the... I mean, maybe. Because their sounds are basically just... Yeah. So basically, it's, it's all, it's all like, it's all using R's. Yeah. It's all... Yeah, and there's It's like, all like a dog gargling marble. And all the R's are capital, I should mention that too. Good. Yeah. Is that like a thing in their language? I guess, yeah. R's are always capital? Capital R's. Is there a dictionary of Tusken Raider E's? I wonder. I wonder if uh, Ben Burt wrote some stuff about it. <laughs> Let me look. <laughs> I know there's Jawa language. I just want to know what means. Like, does it mean, like, gift of God? Yeah, it means uh, beautiful Monday's... Princely jewel. Monday's child. God is gracious. I don't think there's any Tusken Raider in here. So let's just assume that the only word they have in their language is and every person, place, and thing is That sounds good. So yeah, you can either vote for Teleporno, who is an absolute beast on the field, or you can vote for a guy who sounds like your dog trying to talk. Yeah. And I know which one I would vote for. Teleporno. No, my my dog, a talking dog, I want my dog to talk. Yeah. I want to believe that my dog can talk and it can have some meaning in this world. It's not, my dog's not just shouting into the void. Joanne, I don't know My dog t- is saying the name of a, t- a Tuscan Raider. I don't know how to tell you this. We don't have a dog. Well, I mean, I used to. Okay. So. She's shouting into the eternal void now. She went over the rainbow bridge saying. Rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> so, please vote on Facebook or on Twitter for either Teleporno or. 
And by the way, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching What's Lightsabers Precious. Or if you like websites and Squarespace, which is not sponsoring us in any way, and I'm they, not being sarcastic. Well, they, they should they, be. They, they're not, but they should be. Uh, we, you can find us at www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. Yes, you can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Please rate us up if you like us. Leave us a nice review. Tell a friend if you don't want to do that. And let them know there's going to be more spooks and chills and ghouls next week. That's right, because next week is going to be our final Halloween episode. Yes, our final. A final Spooky October this is, episode. This is, this is the penultimate Spooky October. Next week is the season finale. So that means we will reach max spookiness next week. You don't want to miss it. I can't make any promises. I don't know how Nightmare Machine's going to go, but we'll see. Hopefully it's the spookiest one. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise this whole feature is ruined. Yes. All, All right. right. Well, we'll see you next week, Hoblox. Later, Ebits. Later, Ebits.